0: Good day, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Code. I'm Mike. I'm Campbell. And this week, uh, we just get into the topic of building computers.
1: We talk about um, different use cases for the computers and why you might build different systems, um, desktops versus laptops, and some other form factors. We briefly go into some of the stuff that's been happening around ARM and a little bit of advice to others.
0: So hopefully it's an interesting topic for you all, and um, with with that, we'll get into it. G'day, Cam. What have you been up to lately?
1: Oh, well, I'm just taking some time off over the, over the holidays mm-hmm. and um, doing a bit of, bit of Emacs coding. I've uh, submitted quite a few packages to Melpa, and so they're... Yeah, they're waiting on review and stuff, but you're yeah. really
0: getting into the Emacs thing, or the Emacs and Melpa thing, aren't you?
1: Well, I had a whole lot of stuff in my personal configuration, and I just thought it was silly. Like some of it was fairly significant, and so it was like I should just extract it out into packages, mm. and then once it's in a package, yep. yeah, why not let other people use Benefit? it too? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's good. Yeah,
1: so yeah, doing that, and um, so that's mostly done. I'm, I'm not. Not doing too much more with Emacs at the moment. Um, what else? Well, following on from the bees that came down from the chimney, um, <laughs> it seems when you move out of your house, other animals move in. Um, so these there's birds that uh, live outside uh, our bedroom window, but they're sounding particularly loud recently, and we've found that they've actually moved into the wall in the bedroom where there's a sort of air vent and so they they must be nested in the wall and you can hear them like screeching in the morning really like as if they're in the same room it's quite loud
0: yeah it's something about your place it's just really blending into nature isn't it
1: yeah it's like it's an old place and 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 again you know as with the bees i don't just want to like put poison up there and Mm. just you know I mean, I'm not that nice a person, but like I just don't just want to kill the birds. This feels pretty mean. I mean, you also have the problem of dead birds in your wall then too. So
0: yeah, yeah, which it, can't yeah, be a good thing. Yeah. Probably
1: doesn't smell great. So, yeah, um, yeah anyway. Um, have, I have to, so, then I have to buy a ladder, like a really, really tall ladder, mm. like four meters or something, yeah, so I can see, go outside.
0: Like, like you say, it's an old place. It's got quite high ceilings. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Um so I need to buy a really big ladder so I can go outside and get to this vent right up the top. Mm. Um and then yeah, try and like replace it and cover it and get the birds mm. out and yeah. Mm. So that's um what I'm looking forward to on the holidays.
0: That all that all sounds very dramatic.
1: Yeah. Well hopefully it's not too dramatic, like uh I yeah. fall off the ladder yeah. while I'm trying to replace the vent or something. But
0: Yeah, yeah, let's hope yeah. not.
1: Um and I thought it's worth mentioning um just a follow up from last week. I was saying that it was nice that uh, Microsoft Teams gave people a bit of insight into what each other are doing. But it seems that the a lot of people on Twitter got enraged by this feature because they saw it as a way for managers to to nitpick over who was doing the most work and who wasn't and sort of as if they're gonna like fire people or promote people, like just look at this statistics and, and use that as a way to like like instead of seeing if people are actually doing good work, just use this as like a hmm. a way to get statistics on there. Um So
0: that's a that's a conspiracy theory as far as you're concerned? Well or? it
1: was hang on. Um no it's a pretty justified complaint, in fact. Um if that is indeed what it would be used for. Hmm. Uh but it's it's uh, enough of a problem that Microsoft has like stepped back, back some of the yeah, yeah mm. some of the things they were planning on doing. Mm. Which yeah. is a shame because I mean, I was looking at it from a different perspective. I was looking at it from the perspective of, uh, like, colleagues wanting to know what each other are working on. And I'm not sure I mentioned, but um, we write down in a, a, speci- a special chat room, a public chat room, what we work on each day in the project hmm. uh, for, for my Blender development work. Yeah, because so, the,
0: the Blender project um, staff are quite geographically dispersed, aren't they?
1: Right, yeah, so... I mean it's something we're trying to it's not like we've got this figured out what was happening was we were just messaging like um a manager but then it, it felt it felt a bit weird and sometimes the information would be useful to other people so it's like we'll just message everyone so everyone knows what everyone's working on although not everyone wants to do it and some people still message um our manager directly and then it's it's a little bit weird if only a few people are doing it. So I'm not sure if it's actually working for us or not. Mm. Um, we sort of, we'll have to see how it plays out.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I mean, obviously, since the whole coronavirus thing became a thing, um, you know, my, my work has been using, um, they started off using sort of a combination of um, WebEx and Zoom, but sort of quickly moved to, uh, Microsoft Teams. Once they had everything set up properly, but um, that's all a bit of a new world to me as far as um, you know a means of communicating amongst um, uh, project teams. Um, you know, traditionally in in my business, it's been very email heavy. Um, I mean, well, for the most part, um, work work groups in my work are. Um, located in the same office, so there's not um, as much of a need for um, some some of those communication platforms. But where teams uh, have been remote um, within our business, it's tended to mostly just be um, emails and you know phone calls and that sort of thing. But um, obviously you know with everyone working from home that's suddenly changed and it's been it's been a good learning learning experience i think for for myself but you know everyone else at the business so but it's it's all a bit of a new new world so i'm sort of starting to watch the news as far as some of these platforms go with a bit more interest because it's a little bit more applicable to me now
1: yeah i think the problem is also like these systems can be gamed so if you're getting like statistics on your employees you know if if they get like a a software that gets to waggle their mouse while they walk away and have a cup of coffee Mm. like that means they're Mm. working therefore well like but even if even if it's not like that maybe they're just not concentrating on their work and they're listening listening to something on the radio and they're waggling their mouse and they know that that makes it look as if they're working you know like however and i'm just making this example up but however it tracks whether you're working or not and how long for Mm. Um, These kinds of systems are sort of approximations, you know, and I can understand if someone felt like their chance of a promotion or just being fired or whatever was based on some sort of stupid algorithm.
0: Yeah, Yeah, like, but worrying about that sort of thing is, you know, uh, can potentially be a serious psychological burden, you know, if, if if it's a real stress to you, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a little bit to do with job security too. Like, if you feel secure in your job, I mean, you're lucky. Not everyone does. So, mm, yeah. you know, if someone isn't secure, and they know that they're being monitored in in this by a computer program that's going to spit out some numbers, like I think, mm. I think it's pretty justified, um, yeah. and I think it's possible. I mean, look, I, I don't. I don't know this stuff firsthand, but I can imagine it's possible that lazy managers could just look up some statistics and then think they're making decisions and doing their job when they're really not understanding what the people who are working for them are doing and not taking the time or interest to to follow what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. I guess we sort of veered off into a different track. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) So what have you been up to?
0: Um, uh, Actually, today I've just been spending a bit of time, uh, my, my wife took the kids off to to, to go to a, a, a church service. We The church that we go to, uh, they're finally starting to uh, do in-person services now. I mean, you've got to register um, to get along to the services because they've got to control numbers and all that sort of thing. But we're in a pl- pretty good place um, now as far as coronavirus goes in Victoria, Australia and um, we've, yeah, we have more should- opportunities.
1: We should mention, like, it's pretty much been eradicated.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, as far
1: as we know. So, yeah, So, things yeah. are opening up for us at the end of 2020. That's right. And, yeah. um, things are going back to normal ish. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, last time i checked there's there, there was a handful of active cases in victoria but they were all um limited to uh, uh quarantine locations for uh, new international arrivals so there's no there's, there's currently no active cases in the community and it's been like that for quite some time now so we're in a pretty pretty good place as far as that goes um. So, like I say, um, for the past few weeks now, um, our church has started doing um services with registration, and so yeah, my wife um took the kids this morning. I'd i usually go as well, but um, it was a bit of a chance for me to uh, get a bit more work done on the the cubby house that I'm building for the kids. At the moment, I'm um I'm trying to finish off a. Part, sort of an extension to the, the main structure that's a, a big sand pit. Um, and the idea is that ideally we'd like to try and have it so that I can have some sand, ha- have it all finished and have some sand ready to dump into the sand pit um, on the night of Christmas Eve and have it there ready on Christmas Day to surprise the kids. Don't, don't tell them. Um, so, yeah, so we'll, hopefully we'll be able to uh, sort it out to, yeah. to, to manage that. So that's been a bit of fun.
1: For people listening in uh, the other hemisphere, we're in Australia, so it's really hot, sunny yes, day, yeah. Christmas, so you can get the hose out and the kids can run around. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: that's it's... right. Should be good. So, yeah. Um, so th- there's that. Um, and apart from that, as far as um, computer stuff goes, I've – I've been spending a bit of time recently, um, further developing my Ansible uh, configs. Um, I'm sort of going through this process of um, inching closer and closer to having a uh, having an Ansible configuration that reflects all of my uh, current um, main workstation uh, setup, such that I can just one run a a one liner. Um, Ansible pull command to to pull down that configuration and provision a, a new machine and set it up almost exactly like my uh, my current workstation so um, I'm making a few strides as far as that goes but it's a uh, it's a big job but I'll get there
1: is this something other people would ever want to use or is it um, just, is it so specific to you that it's like no,
0: it it's um, what what I'm thinking as far as that goes is the, the state that the configs are in at the moment, it's not sort of um, appropriate for public consumption. It's not it, partly because there's, you know, a bit of sensitive information in there, but also partly because, you know, it needs a, a lot of, because if I was going to, uh, publish anything like this, which I do intend to do at some point, I want it to be um, primarily an educational experience for anyone having a look at it, and so it's important to um, to, to write up those configs in such a way as that it conveys you know, those educational lessons as, as directly as possible, um, uh, at, at the moment it's it's not that the focus is not on that the focus is on just getting it up and, and working the way I need it to for my own machines but once I've got it to a state where it's satisfactory as far as that goes I'm hoping to be able to then look at putting a bit a bit of time into probably sort of um, doing a, a fork of, of that repo and, and re sort of redesigning it um, to take out the sensitive information and um, make it all you know, well-commented and and logical.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You just want to put a a good reference for other people to to be able to understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Alrighty. Anything else or should we get on with things?
0: No, no, let's get on with it. So today, um, we just thought we'd have a bit more of a a casual chat about um, our thoughts and experiences as far as the topic of uh, building computers goes. Um I know for myself I don't have a great deal of experience with with building computers um when when I was a kid starting off with you know tinkering with with computer computer stuff electronics and that sort of thing this was back in the days of probably I, I really started to get more interested in it around the time that you had um Probably really four eight six machines being prevalent. Um ninety
1: five, ninety six that
0: yeah, mid mid nineties, something yeah. like that, yeah. Um I had a bit of exposure to a couple of earlier type of computers, but um not not in a in a big way. Um but I'd probably say that in terms of my own experience, you know, by the time you you got past you know, the first couple of revisions of the Pentiums and that sort of thing, and then you get to the the Intel Core i3, i5, i7 machines, it started to get a lot more murky for me. I had a lot of trouble, you know, um, getting a good understanding of, you know, what the actual performance differences were and sort of deciphering all of the marketing speak and that sort of thing for that sort of hardware. So it got to a point where, I just sort of resigned myself to um, when when I got new new computers, I'd I, I'd I'd end up just going to um, a local computer wholesaler place um, that also did um, machine builds, and I'd just pay them an extra few extra few uh, quid to build the computer. I mean, like I'd give them. The basic specs for what I was after, and just let them source the, the relevant hardware and put it together for me just to avoid um, the, the headache of you know <clears throat> trying to make sure that I had all of the hardware compa- compatibility uh, correct um, and didn't have any issues as far as that goes, um, but also I, that way I didn't have to worry about um, you know knowing the, the right techniques to do the actual building, particularly stuff around. Um, you know thermals and doing heat sinks on cpus and all that sort of stuff i know that that sort of thing's pretty straightforward but i just haven't really had much experience with it personally yeah it does change a bit yeah yeah
1: Yeah, i've had a bit more experience than you but not a huge amount um Mm. I, i had a couple of bad experiences buying computers early on or getting other people to build them um it just ended up Like, same with you, about mid-90s, I was doing messing about a bit. I was, you know, young and had time to mess with computers and stuff. Mm. Um, And ended up building computers for other people, not particularly because I liked it, but it was a way of earning some money. Um, And, yeah, like, I didn't have a job. I was at school and stuff at the time. Mm. Mm. Um, So that was was all right. But later on, I, you know, tried buying computers or getting someone else to build it for me. And then if something goes wrong, like... I want this uh you know you've paid money for something, you take it back to them, they fix support. it yeah, yeah you, you get that support you don't have to to care about the details, but in practice, if by well, that time I was I had my own job and I relied on computers and stuff, and you don't want to wait how many weeks for someone to have your computer, mm. which you need to use, and yeah you yeah. know,
0: yeah your production machine, yeah
1: yeah, yeah, you oh. don't really want this, that to be sitting in there. And then they'll get back to you at some point and tell you mm. that you've got a bad motherboard or something. Like it just, it ended up being easier for me to build my own computers. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I got someone else to build my computer and there was some problems with it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like I paid you to make me a nice computer and now I'm having to deal with these problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And I mean, I suppose you could say, why not buy through one of the OEMs? Mm. And I think maybe, and this is, I'm not 100 percent sure of this, but I think in Australia it's harder to get sort of high-end computers from the OEMs. Like they might yeah. have to ship it from overseas, and then you have to wait a long time. And I'm not they an add expert, a premium I, price to the. Sorry. Yeah,
0: go on. Oh, that's all right. I was going to say I'm not an expert, but I get that impression as well that um, in Australia, yeah, it's we don't have any as many options as far as you know quality hardware goes. It, yeah, in that's terms right. of edit given the price options, point. And then yeah.
1: the really high-end options like they're available, but they cost a fair bit and you have to wait. And that's the thing, if you're buying from an OEM, you want to have like good support and stuff, but if you have to send it back overseas or I don't know how mm. that works exactly, but you know, you're not getting that like uh that support mm. where you could take it down to a shop or something and they just replace a part for you and it's covered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that meant I ended up putting together my own computers. But I never had any particular love for doing it. It was more like the same way you put together IKEA furniture, you you put together your computer. And I never found it that difficult either. Like you just be a bit careful and you you just double check that you're getting the right parts and they're compatible.
0: Yeah, and I think my aversion to uh, just having a go at building computers is probably uh, not insurmountable. I've just, um, you know, maybe next time I'm due for an upgrade, um, I'll just, um, take a chance with it and see how it goes I, I just I, I tend to upgrade my hardware pretty infrequently um, so there, there hasn't there. I guess there just hasn't really been very many opportunities to you know choose whether I'm going to get it built or build it myself um, so next time I need to do it I might just have a go at, have a go at building it myself
1: yeah I did I upgraded quite recently I don't know if mm. now's a good time to mention it's not a lot to mention, yeah. but yeah, I had yeah. a upgraded to a um, from one of the AMDs before the Thread Rippers came out. I think mm. the FX they're called, but yeah, one of those. Mm. Um, upgraded to a Thread Ripper. Mm. And um, yeah, it's quite different. The whole experience is quite different. The Thread Rippers, well, the way the CPUs mount, they have like rails that you have to like run the CPU along and you have to mm. undo the screws. Something like three, two, one, and then tighten them one, two, three, and like in the exact mm. order. It's like a much more delicate operation than yeah. other CPUs. Yep. Um, and also and because they're so expensive, the CPUs, like in most computers that I put together, like if I dropped one component, you'd be like, oh, okay, that sucks. I have to pay another few hundred dollars for that component. Whereas with the thread rippers, they're in the thousands, mm. they're just the processors. So you mm. really want to be careful with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting that you um, mentioned just the experience of, you know, installing a CPU was so different to what you remember last time. That's. I, I guess that's a big issue for me because, like I say, I tend to upgrade my machines pretty infrequently, so it seems like, you know, the whole scene is just completely changed each time I go to do it, which is probably one of the reasons why I don't feel very confident, um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it's not that hard though. They just there's instructions and stuff.
0: <laughs> Is there? I yeah, know, yeah, yeah, of course. They have good, well,
1: fairly good instructions of how yeah. to do it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I guess there's always YouTube or something.
1: Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we didn't have YouTube back then, and now you do. So it's it's really not not a big deal. I find like knowing the parts to buy or knowing where, knowing whether parts will be compatible or something to be a, to be a hassle. And there's always like stupid stuff, like the computer that I put together the RAM is too tall for the fan to sit properly. So the fan had to be like jostled a little bit. So it's like not quite covering the heatsink, And it's like, I don't know, like half a centimetre or maybe a centimetre or something. But it's like, oh man, now, now you know, you want your computer to fit together all nicely, you know, buy a big case and make sure everything's got enough room. And yeah, the RAM is too tall. Yeah, that
0: sort of thing is pretty frustrating, I think. And I suppose... Your use case or or the specific sort of workloads that you're wanting to run on your on your machine have a bit of an impact on your selection when it comes to hardware for building a computer
1: yeah well in previous years I wanted to have a fairly stock standard computer
0: mm. just
1: because I wanted the software that I developed to be running as sort of a typical user would would experience it mm. um, which I still still think is a good uh Good rule of thumb, um, and in some ways, maybe I should keep an old computer just to run the run software and check that it's you know it's yeah. performing well enough. Because if your computer's too fast, you're not you know you might make things slow and not realize it because your computer's fast <laughs> enough to handle it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a bit of a risk. Um, however, there's enough things that I do that can benefit from a very fast computer, mm. um, like recompiling software, running tests, um, bisecting. You know, where if you're compiling different versions of the software, it's really nice if you can just, you know, throw many, many, many th- uh, cores at the, at the job. Mm. So it's been really nice to have a, a fast computer. Although you yep. do notice all the things that aren't multi-threaded. So when you have, mm. you know, anything over like 30, 32 threads or whatever, it's like anything that's multi-threaded happens very quickly. Like so mm. not instantly but sometimes it appears to be instant like i wanted to do all these things bam done and then mm. it just sits there that one single threaded thing <laughs> just like and it's not yeah. even particularly faster than my old computer which was like eight years old so yeah mm. you just you just sort of sit there watching single threaded tasks and then everything else just happens really quick
0: is it relatively frequent that you find that certain things aren't uh, optimized for multi, you know, multi-threaded operation. Yeah, or? yeah no, loads yeah. of things. Yeah, okay. Like
1: even yeah. most things, um, and even software like compiling software. Mm. So I've got um, it's at thirty-two cores, sixty-four threads, so like thirty-two real cores. I had the impression with compiling source code that you could pretty much just throw all the, you know, the object, the C files or C you know, create object files, but it doesn't seem as threaded as I actually expected. So it seems to not, you know, um, use all the cores when compiling quite a lot of software. Mm. Um, Yeah, so running tests is an example that works pretty well though. If you want to run tests and that tests happen to be all able to run in parallel, you can actually run like you know sixty four or one hundred and twenty eight jobs at once, and it's Mm. it's pretty nice
0: forgive my non-developer questions, but like when you're talking about um, testing software builds, what, what's the actual work being done in those tests? Is it... um
1: Do you mean running tests or testing... Yeah, like
0: build? when you're running tests, what, what's the computer actually doing? Like, is there like a quick explanation or like... Sure, is it, sure.
1: Is well, it I mean- sort
0: of... Is it um, testing inputs and outputs or something like that or like...
1: I mean, the sort of tech nerd answer is, well, it's the test, whatever you ask it to test and you can no. test anything, but yeah, yeah. okay. I'll be a bit more concrete about that. <laughs> yeah. So there'll be, um, like effects, like filters, mm. um, or mesh modification operations that are being done. Mm. And we might just want to test that they don't change. So that's it's a fairly mm. uninteresting test, but you might have a, like you might say, uh, cut one object into another object and subtract the volume from it like a boolean mm. operation and then you might want mm. to say well I want to test that the object coming out is watertight as in it doesn't have holes gaping mm. yeah. holes in it and that yeah. it has the same the volume that you would expect from such an operation Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then yeah. that's that's a test and you can say whether that passes yeah. or fails and even if the actual method changes or if the mm. you know some details change of the operation it could still pass the test mm. You know, would other it- tests are a bit more stupid you might just test that you have a certain output and compare it with a known existing output that's correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But for those tests that are like um, looking at doing transformations to meshes and that sort of thing, isn't um, isn't it uh, the GPU that does a lot of work in those sort of situations, or is it is that the CPU?
1: No, well, in this in our case, it's the CPU. But for rendering, mm. there's GPU mm. rendering. And um, yes, that can run tests. And in fact, that's an area where you might not want to run a whole lot of jobs at once because you can't necessarily run all the GPU jobs at once. But that's a yeah. sort of a separate yeah. issue. Yeah. Um, there's there's ways around this to manage that particular problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, obviously, in your case, probably the, the most important thing that you're looking for is CPU cores and, and threads. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I imagine you want to have sort of a, a minimum amount of um, system memory available as well, but um, it's probably not as much of a focus for you as the the number of cores in, the, in your CPU.
1: Not so much, only in that I want to be able to run as many jobs as the CPUs can handle yeah. and not yeah. run out of memory while doing so. But otherwise, yeah, yeah not having a huge amount of memory isn't um such an important thing for me if I actually was a like an artist myself and was doing 3d renders myself I would probably want more memory
0: yeah 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 I mean for me um I've got more of a focus on system memory because um just with you know the testing that I do with you know my um my Ansible configs like I was talking about before I, I test that by running virtual machine, like um, spinning up virtual machines and uh, running the, the config and then um, blowing them away and then repeating. So it's helpful to have a fair bit of headroom as far as system memory goes so I can handle, you know, a handful of virtual machines without um, noticeable um, slowdown in, in operation of those those VMs. And I'm also interested in... Uh, doing a bit of computer artwork type stuff using creator and and hopefully getting into blender a little bit more i'm interested in um doing trying a bit of 3d sculpting um as well so i think for for me the focus is i mean like i I want a decent cpu but the focus is probably more so on system memory and and having a a decent gpu as well
1: i mean i'm generalizing a bit but the like the performance of single threaded cpus hasn't improved that much over the last 10 years. Mm. It's not like in the mid 90s where you were sort of doubling in speed every mm. year or two. You
0: mm. know. It's it's probably a bit of a sidetrack with all the news about um Apple's new custom silicon is is there significant importance um to the blender project um around that that news and you know potentially using those machines for running blender is that something that you guys are focusing on or
1: okay well i'm personally not a mac developer we were Mm. offered development machines i think some of our developers were working on it Mm. and sort of the boring answer is that there weren't really very many changes at all that need to be done to blender yeah okay i I think it was possibly none or like a few Mm. changes to the build system like almost Mm. nothing virtually yep. nothing and keep in mind Blender ran on ARM already so it wasn't like yeah quite. okay, okay. Yep. on Linux at least it ran on ARM um, mm. the actual changes were mostly to do with third party dependencies
0: mm. yeah I, I wasn't aware that um, it was it was
1: already running on ARM every now and again we'd get people on our forum saying oh why don't you run Blender on a Raspberry Pi and you know <laughs> you can have you know a hundred Raspberry Pis or whatever and make an awesome render farm mm. <laughs> It really doesn't work that way. Um, I mean, you can, if you want to render sort of bouncing balls or some very, very simple animation that doesn't require a lot of memory, then yes, you can do that. Yeah. But yeah. you're not going to get uh, great rendering results out of lots and lots of Raspberry Pis. So you can just send people a link to the Debian package and say, look, it's running, you know, your mileage may vary, but if you have complex scenes, it's probably going to not perform very well.
0: Prior to all of this uh, news coming out uh, from Apple about their custom silicon stuff, um, I, I guess the the um, the big player in, in the ARM space was was the Raspberry Pi. Really, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert on on this, I suppose, but um, that that seemed to be the case. Like it's it sounds like. Apple moving into that space is going to open it up a lot in terms of lots of different, um, you know, applications and use cases that um, um, typically didn't occupy in the past. But that's just my own educating. Well, desktop
1: computing. Yeah, Unless yeah. Unless you count yeah. the really old um, BBC computers. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, when they were starting out.
1: Yeah, look, I don't, I don't have a good sense of what, what's going to happen there. I mean, I've heard people on part of the tech podcast talk about this and so to parrot other people's opinions on this, this isn't my own, but it seems that Apple's doing their own thing and the ARM um, chip manufacturers are already making their money out of the phone market and the desktop market by comparison is much smaller and yeah, shrinking. Yeah. So, yeah. so the incentive to invest in uh, putting an arm on the desktop for like yeah. these uh, chip manufacturers isn't very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I suppose yeah, that, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about um, being the de facto chip uh, environment for mo- modern mobile phones. And I suppose you know, with Apple doing what they're doing, it's um, it's really just going to be a matter of you know, genuine convergence of um, you know, smart device hardware and um, and desktop machines.
1: So what does that even mean? Like, what's a smart device? Like a TV? No, no. Well. Like a smart TV, that annoying interface that pops up—I would like to get rid of.
0: No, well, when I say smart device, I mainly mean smartphones and tablets. Okay. I'm not sure um, whether the, um, you know, the Android-enabled computers in in TVs and that sort of thing are ARM devices. I'm assuming that they are. To my understanding, ARM chips have been a hardware solution that sort of fits really well in the smartphone and tablet you know, hardware ecosystem um, and there's been a lot of desire or push to try and standardize that hardware architecture across both, you know, smartphones and tablets and also, you know, laptops and that sort of thing. But it seems to be that in the past it was always difficult to get away from the need for x86 uh, chips in laptops and and desktop computers. But it sounds like with what Apple's doing that might be changing. Well... Um,
1: I don't think so. I mean, for yeah. Apple, they do their own thing, and they've managed to emulate x86 quite mm. successfully. I mean, so we'll have to see um, if the Microsoft ecosystem can um, emulate x86 on ARM um, in the same way that Apple has. That's I think a big question, and yeah. do it successfully, and do it in a way that doesn't um, handicap the software. I mean, I think with Microsoft. They have a lot more third-party device drivers and integration with applications. So, Mm. you know, with Apple, they can just change the hardware and they have, I think, control over most of the drivers, whereas Microsoft doesn't. So that makes it a lot more complicated. You don't just have to emulate the applications. You've got all the drivers to handle. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So while we're stuck with um, x86 machines for our our desktops, when you're building a, a new machine, how crazy do you get with... You know stuff like cooling systems and that sort of thing. Like, you, do you do, f- you know, fluid cooling for for your your machines, or is it, or do do you have a do you have a focus on um, wanting the cooling system to be as as passive and quiet as possible? Like, what's what's your preference there?
1: Well, early on when I first started buying sort of more powerful computers, I thought I just had this assumption that water cooling would be the way to go, which was hmm. Really stupid. So, I got this water cooling thing and it was like a hairdryer. It was going really loud. (laughs) And, you know, it was technically water cooling, but there was just like really noisy, probably low quality fans blowing onto this radiator thing that had pipes going onto the the CPU. Mm. Mm. And I persisted with it for years. At some point, um, I saw someone else building a computer and looked inside it and heard it running and it was really nice and quiet. And it just had a really high quality fan. And then I looked into the different fans you could get, and just the, you know, the decent quality fans that were known to be quiet. And got one mm. of those, and I haven't looked back. Yeah, you just yeah, yeah just get a really good fan. Um, generally, big, big one that spins fairly slow, and mm. it's not going to make a, a lot of noise, and it will keep things running cool. Yeah, and
0: it seems like there's lots of uh, just little things that you can do to um, really. Increase the, oh sorry, decrease decrease the um, the machine noise from a computer if if you're that way inclined. Like just little things like uh, using r- rubber mounts for for the system fans and that sort of thing to avoid, you know, the vibrations from the fan um, transmitting into the into the case. And I haven't. know, been able to focus on that sort of thing because I, like I say, I haven't um, built my own machines from scratch. Um, But if if I was going to do that and build something from the ground up, I'd probably yeah put a bit of focus into just trying to do those little details to um, to you know try and minimise noise as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean I've done that, but it's not like you have to care that much about it. You just buy a case that's known to be quiet. There's like lists of cases that are known to be pretty quiet and you pay a bit extra, but they're not that expensive. Mm. And then you, you know, buy a fan that's known to be quiet. So it's not like you actually have to put that much effort. You just have to pay a little bit more Mm. for each component. Um, And I should just mention maybe a correction or clarification, like before talking about liquid cooling, I'm sure there are liquid cooling setups that that are good. I just probably got the fairly cheap one. Yeah. However, it doesn't really seem like it's necessary, like in, unless you're doing something. Well, I don't know. I mean, you, I can yeah, put I the mean, CPU's a hundred percent for a long yeah, time, it, and it's not yeah. overheating or anything. So a fan seems yeah, sufficient.
0: It comes back to your use case and and the workloads that you're trying to put through your machine. You know. Sure, like, but I'm I'm uh, talking
1: about running a hundred percent of the CPU like for a long period yeah. of time, and it's not overheating.
0: Well, my understanding is that. And I'm not I'm not a gamer, so I don't know. But my understanding is that you know if you're seriously into gaming on on desktop PCs, then um, you you need you know you need some high quality hardware in terms of both the CPU horsepower as well as as your GPU. But I guess um, the issue is
1: with gaming, everything's running hot. Yeah, so that's it's right. the GPU and the CPU, and yeah, so. Yeah, it's yeah. not just you're not just running the CPU at full speed.
0: Yeah, and I mean like, and uh, you know, fluid cooling systems. I think the the advantage that they have is that if you're in a situation where you know multiple parts of your machine are, are, are all running hot at the same time, uh, that's where they make the most sense because you know they're modular and you're able to you know cycle it through you know um, cooling blocks on. Both the CPU and the GPU and all the rest of it, so I can see how um, it might not be, you know, those sort of cooling systems might not be necessary for, you know, development development machines. Um, but yeah, there's certain situations where they might make more sense. And like you say, your bad experience with the the one that you had set up was probably. It sounds like it was mainly due to lack of quality in in the cooling fans on the um like the radiator part of the system sort of thing rather than anything else really.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was really loud, and I just got used to having a loud computer and putting like <laughs> headphones on and yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. working yeah. around it. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it was, but it was not good, and um, yeah. I regret doing that. <laughs> so,
0: would you have any advice for? For people looking to build a new machine,
1: I mean, just don't go cheap on everything. Like, if you yeah. want to go cheap on everything, probably just buy a pre-built computer. When you buy cheap components, like even things that you might not think of as being important, like power supply and and as I say, fans and, and a case. Like having a good case will make it run quiet. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just and it also makes just replacing hard drives and stuff easier. Mm. And and installation easy. Although you only install stuff maybe once, so it's not necessarily such an important thing. Mm. But um, yeah, just I just find that getting better quality components, even if it's not the you know the top end, mm. um, it makes the whole thing a better system. And yeah. uh, like early yeah. on, I used to just skimp on everything except for <laughs> maybe the CPU, RAM, and motherboard. And everything yeah, else yeah. was super cheap. Oh, yep. graphics card, I should say too. Yeah. Um, whereas now I just get good, good quality case, good quality power supply.
0: Yep. I guess you just uh, de de risking uh, the whole build process and you know the potential to have problems like you know hardware not being able to fit around e- each other. Um, if you just put a bit of extra cash into getting good quality components for everything, and like you say, you get all the all the extra little quality of life features with those good cases, the, you know, the noise, um, dampening panels and, you know, good mounting systems for fans and filters and all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's just the case, you know, and obviously the, there's, um, there's value in getting good quality power supplies, especially if you're, um, if, if the hardware inside the machine that you're wanting to run is, um, know is powerful you want to make sure that you don't have any problems you know delivering to that hardware so yeah yeah and if you get
1: a good quality case and power supply you can probably use it for an upgrade cycle as well
0: yeah 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 true um
1: yeah yeah, and some other advice and this is maybe just my experience but consider buying local because i went and bought my cpu and i think motherboard from a just a, a local online store like a place i trusted But then I bought a few other parts from Amazon and they took like months to get here. And so I was just like, my Threadripper was just getting used as a doorstop for quite a while (laughs) because I had to wait for like the power supply from, I don't know, some random country. And it was just being like on a shipping container somewhere. And so it would have been much better if I just bought everything from this one local place and I would have had my computer much, much quicker.
0: So if you're impatient, make sure you buy local.
1: Yeah yeah I mean assuming they've got all the parts and the rest of it and th- yeah. these guys would have yeah other advice I was thinking after saying not to use Amazon Amazon has quite a nice uh, feature where it's like you know it'll say like these components are often bought with this that and the other and that's interesting to know because if it's like this CPU is often bought with this other motherboard yada 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 it's like okay you know lots of people have that CPU and that motherboard yeah probably yeah and yeah. the chances of them working well together are pretty good
0: yeah no, that's a good tip
1: And one more piece of advice. Yes. Don't trust the speed on LS CPU. It lies. (laughs) I I installed my CPU and it gave me this, I can't remember, but it was a very, it was like significantly slower than what I expected. I was totally confused because like you couldn't even buy a CPU that was that slow. So I just assumed that the motherboard was somehow underclocking it. So then I was trying to overclock it. Then it was telling me like I'd void the warranty and yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And so I was like, "Oh, I don't know if I want to do this." And I was like trying incremental overclockings and then it wouldn't boot and. Mm. Anyway, it turns out that if you just um use a CPU monitor that actually tells you the frequency of all the cores, you can see the actual frequency like the actual um speed that the processors are running. So instead of looking at the measly number that LS CPU is showing you, actually run a benchmark and um you know, monitor the speed of all the cores and mm yeah that'll tell you how fast it's running and when i did that it showed that it was running at the speed that it was supposed to mm. so i can only assume that there's like some low clock rate that gets scaled up when um when the CPUs are yeah under load
0: I, yeah i mean like LSCPU must be pulling in like like metadata for the um the hardware or something like that whereas the benchmarks is actually measuring actual performance or something
1: yeah it's something like this but even the metadata doesn't seem right i mean who knows mm. maybe it's well anyway, I don't know yeah, why that would be, yeah. but it's yeah. it was lying to me and made me worried that I had a slow CPU.
0: Yeah. But you don't you don't have a slow CPU. No.
1: Okay, that's good. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: guess the the other thing that we haven't sort of mentioned is um I mean like you know there's all of this stuff around, you know, building desktop PCs, but um, if you're, you know, shopping for a new a new workstation computer, you, you might not necessarily want um, a desktop. Um, a desktop rig. You might be interested in, you know, you might be mobile. You might be interested in going for a, a laptop, or you know, there's other more modern form factors of, um, of computing device. Now you've got stuff like the. The is it Nvidia NUC or well, no? Is, is it? No, it's Intel, Intel, Intel NUC. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you know, the GPD Pocket, which I understand is sort of like a, a modern version of the old, um, uh, Net Top computers. Um, which I'll note, I still have a Net Top computer, an original, um, Asus IEEE IE, uh, PC. Um, it's got, um, oh what is it, it's an Atom processor with one gig of RAM, system RAM and it's it's very useful because I mean like I, sometimes I just want a machine that's got like a, I've just got a basic arch installation on there that's just running um, XFCE but I spend most of my time in the terminal and you know that's all the resources you need in that sort of situation so yeah you can get um, depending on your needs from a, a computer you know you can, you can get away with lots of different things so yeah there's there's other options there
1: yeah i don't have a lot to say about this um the knucks mm. look pretty nice and mm. if i didn't sometimes need a good graphics card i would consider using one
0: yeah but i mean you, you have a, a laptop as well yeah as well as a desktop machine
1: um i actually gave it away okay yeah i wasn't using it enough mm. so i just yeah
0: is that just because of coronavirus or, it, like, will that change, do you think, in future? Do, will you need a, a laptop again in future?
1: There's been times when I've, I've worked overseas and it would have been good to have a laptop, like a, a really good laptop for development. And that's actually why I got it. But I used it so infrequently and I don't travel mm. often. Mm. So I can't really justify having a, a good laptop just for the occasions that I happen to go overseas and, you mm. know, there's a conference or something. Yeah. So probably not. I may get a new laptop at some point, but yeah, I have no intention of doing so in the near mm. term.
0: I've got a, um, a ThinkPad T410, um, which I'm not sure what what sort of vintage that is, but it's pretty, it's getting to be a fair old age now. But um, that's very useful for me. It came with four gigs of RAM, which I upgraded to eight. Um, and it's just like a, an, Early generation i5 processor, um, but I'm just running Fedora Workstation on it, and um, it's just really, it's just a really solid little machine. I mean, not so little; it's a standard size laptop, and you know that's what I, I use if I'm wanting to do a bit of you know work on uh, like while I'm in front of the telly or something like that. Um, and I just, you know, I just SSH into my my main desktop. When I'm at home, but it's it's useful if I'm out and about and I want to have a computer with me as well. So, yeah, I mean that there's in the past I toyed with the idea of rather than having a you know proper desktop machine, trying to get you know a really high spec um, laptop and and that would be my main workstation. But yeah, you know, I spend enough of my time at at home that it's not really necessary. And if I've got um, a decent desktop machine plus a laptop that's just a more basic um, bit of hardware, then that, that sort of covers my needs. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I personally like to get away from my computer and like spend time not thinking about work. So it's like, it's a decision for me to just not have a laptop or a yeah. phone or anything like that and just yeah. get away from your computer and just not be not be online.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough.
1: So I like the idea of having all these different computers. Like I've, in the past, I've had different computers all set up, but I only end up using sort of the best one anyway. Mm. So all the other ones just gather dust. So now I just give computers away once I'm done with them or laptops yeah. or whatever, yeah. um, just so someone actually uses them.
0: Give technology away. Yeah, that's a, a good note to, to finish on, I reckon. Yep.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> all righty. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the conversation today. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can find them at our website, which is conversationsincode.xyz. For any feedback, suggestions, or other thoughts, you can email us at conversationsincode at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time.
1: See you later.